You know, communion reminds us that really what, what happens is, from a spiritual perspective, we need open-heart surgery. And it is by the heart, the changing of who we are on the inside, that we become transformed. Hebrews says this in chapter 10, 9, 10, it says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Yeah. Jeremiah, even in the Old Testament, in chapter 17, said God sees the heart and tests the mind. There is something about the heart, something about what's inside of us that needs to change. And that is what it is to be a Christian. And it's an ever, it's a never-ending process while we're on this earth. It starts with the day we confess, but it continues on and on and on until the day we die. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm going to dismiss the youth that are part of the play. The youth that are not part of the play, please stay up here with me tonight, today. But for the youth that are part of the play, you may go down. Please go down. And so going going on that theme today, I'm going to start a new series. I just finished the Sermon on the Mount. And today I'm starting a new series. And the series is when Jesus had come to a conclusion in his ministry in Galilee. And he makes his final journey to Jerusalem. Three of the Gospels pick specific time when they say, and Jesus turned towards Jerusalem. The prior, Luke probably speaks the most about it, but Matthew does as well, and Mark. And so as I go through this series, I'm going to be using all three Gospels that touch on this. But it's so significant that all three of them talked about this moment, this precious moment, when Jesus started the final journey of his ministry. But before I get into that, there is something I want to say in that our journey here as Christians is always under attack. It is. The enemy doesn't want you to succeed. In fact, the enemy is going to do everything he can to try and trip you up, to distract you, every technique and tool that he can to prevent you from being successful in that journey. He will try everything he can to prevent you from accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he will do everything he can after that to make your walk as useless as possible. And that is our walk. That is why we are called to be soldiers. That is why we need the full armor of God. It's funny, I, uh, you know, we get so distracted. You know, we, we as a culture get very easily distracted. Very easily distracted. I was reading a story about someone in Europe. And so there's this, this woman in Europe, and no, this isn't about women being bad drivers, so don't go there. I'm not going there. There's a woman in Europe, and she had to go visit a friend, and she had to leave Belgium. And so her friend gave her specific instructions that it's about 100 to 150 kilometers for her to leave her house to go visit her. Okay? And so this woman said, okay, great. Give me your address. She put on the address in the GPS. And she'd forgotten everything that she was told about how to get there because she trusted the GPS. So she got in the car and she started driving. And she kept driving and all of a sudden 
she saw German signs, so she kept going. Then she saw French signs, and she kept going. And it got dark, so she'd stop, sleep in the car, buy some food, get some gas, get back in the car. The GPS said, go this way, so she kept going. And then she saw Italian signs. And finally, when she got to Croatia and she saw Croatian signs and found herself in Zagreb, she says, something must be wrong. So her son, worried, going, wait a minute, this was supposed to be a half-day trip. It's now days, calls the police, so the police actually, the one thing that they could do is look at her credit cards and found that she had been going all the way down southern Europe. So they found her and they said, what happened? She goes, well, I just followed the GPS. That's all she did. And you might think that this is a young person. It wasn't. She was a 67-year-old lady, driving for years. And that's exactly how Satan wants to distract us. God has gotten a journey mapped out for each one of us. But what the enemy wants to do is distract us and take us on a wild goose chase. But that's not how Jesus intended it. And when Jesus was leaving from Galilee to Jerusalem, there's an interesting scripture that tells it all. Luke 9.51. Luke 9.51. This is what it says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face. You see that? Set his face to go to Jerusalem. Set his face. This is such an important piece of information that the gospel writer is getting, giving us. Because set his face means that he, with concentration, with all effort, he, you, if you saw it on his face, you know when you see people who are determined to get something done? It was all over his face. It was set on his face. There was a determination about Jesus that had never been seen before. And Luke is calling it out. You see, there are no distractions with Jesus. When he sets out on a journey, he sets out on it purposefully. And where to? To Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Do you know what Jerusalem stands for? City of peace. Isn't that ironic? Jerusalem is called the city of peace. It actually means, you shall see peace. So here's Jesus on a journey, beginning his journey down to Jerusalem. But the real issue is, what does Jesus see? And what does his followers see? You see, because he's probably spent close to three years right now with his disciples and all his followers. They've heard his teachings. They've seen his miracles. They've followed him all over the place. And now this is near the end. You see, up until now, the Gospels have been giving us accounts of his life probably in a span of years. But the journey from 951, also in Mark 10 and in Matthew 19, it changes from years to months. And now there is a determined effort to get to Jerusalem. But in that journey, there are many lessons. Many lessons. And the first lessons we get to see are lessons around how much have the disciples learned? How much have they absorbed in terms of who Jesus is? I mean, just before this, Peter had proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But did he really understand what that meant? Did the people who came to him for miracles understand what that meant? And the first stories that actually come out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke on this voyage are ones that test the heart to see whether people truly understand who Jesus was. 
in his last voyage to Jerusalem. <laughs> when I read, when I read this, the stories, it reminded me of an article I read online by Microsoft. You know, and, and we shouldn't be too too critical of the disciples because we in our day and age um, are pretty bad when it comes to focusing and retaining information. Listen to this. Microsoft, this is in Canada, they did a study not too long ago, said they, they were actually looking at the attention span of people who worked. And they looked at how much time do you concentrate on the task, right? Listening, doing. In, in 2008, it was 12 seconds. That's crazy, 12 seconds. That's supposed to be pretty good. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. Five years. That would have made it in 2013. We're 10 years later. I think they stopped making the study. You know why? Because eight seconds is one second less than a goldfish. Yeah. Our attention span is getting close to that of a goldfish. It's no wonder that preaching has gotten so small and so concise in, in churches these days. People just don't concentrate. They don't. But the question I have is, should we give in to that? No. We shouldn't give in to that. You see, that's part of the plan. Fill your lives with things. Fill your, your time with all these distractions. Make you so oriented to little short pieces of information that you could never consume enough that you need. Christian writer said, we do not see the things as they are, we see things as we are. Did you catch that? We do not see things as they are, we see them as we are. In other words, we see them as the state that we're in. So our state, our heart, the position we're in actually dictates how we actually see things. And we cannot let the ways of the world, even in simple things like how it can be such distracting with social media and technology and all the things in life, get in and affect how we actually serve God. And you can see my bias. My bias is, is that we shouldn't try and transform our churches. Yes, we have to be adaptable. Yes, we have to be fishers of men. But I don't believe that we should give in to that and start giving you 10-minute sermonettes every week. We need to be diving into the Word of God with the same concentration that Jesus had when he set his sights on Jerusalem. One of the first stories that we see in Jesus going in, leaving Galilee, one of the first things he encounters is the Pharisees. And it's a story around where the Pharisees say, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce? You remember that story? Is it lawful to divorce? And so Jesus, knowing they're up to no good, but he wanted to show them their heart condition. The leader's heart condition, where their heart was and where God's was. You know what Jesus said? Jesus answered in Matthew 19, 8, he says, because of your hardness of heart, right? Your hardness of heart. God allowed you to? No, it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say God allowed you to. It said Moses allowed you to. Do you catch the difference? God allowed Moses to create this law. It's in God's permissive will. God's permissive will is something that we should be very careful with. There's God, things that God prohibits us from doing. There's God's perfect will, and then there's God's permissive will. 
And when we enter God's permissive will, he doesn't hold it as an account to send to us, but the consequences thereof we suffer. Just as the Israelites suffered when they said, give us a king. That wasn't God's will. You can see example after example in the Bible of God saying, okay, is that what you want? Okay, I'll give it to you. I've warned you that you shouldn't have it, but I'll give it to you. See what happens. See what happens. And so Jesus exposes their heart and he says, that's how God wanted it. Because in the beginning, God made them male and female. That they should become one and leave their mother and father and start a life together as one. Never to be separated. Yes, there are certain conditions that the Gospels do allow for divorce. But that's not what we should strive for. We shouldn't make it easy to divorce. It shouldn't be an easy thing. It should be a serious thing. And Jesus is exposing their hearts. They just want what's good for them. And we're, we're so much like that. It's all about emotions. Well, I don't feel like I love you anymore. Here's my, here's my certificate. There you go. Off we go. Sounds like today. So easy. It's all about feelings. Well, I, I feel like you're bullying me by the words you use. I feel like you're assaulting me by the tone you have. It's all about feelings these days. But where's the substance? Yes, I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but where is the substance, the commitment, the desire to continue on? So Jesus exposes, right off the bat, he exposes one of the things that the leaders were doing they were creating laws for their own good, their own desires, their own hardness of heart, and suffering the consequences as a result. And it doesn't stop there because there's another story that starts exposing the heart. But this time, Luke is moving from, Luke, Matthew, and Mark are moving from the Pharisees now to the disciples. Do you think the disciples got it? Do they got it right? I mean, they've been around Jesus. I mean, the Pharisees who are, you know, the most learned, you know, the, they're even smarter than the priests because they study the Bible all the time and they got it right. But they didn't. And as Jesus is going to Jerusalem in his final time, you, you see that the leaders didn't get it right, but did the disciples. Well, Luke 9.52, right after what I just read, it said... And Jesus, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. See that? So Jesus sends out his disciples. This is what happens. So Jesus sends out his disciples. He goes, okay, go into the Samaritan village. Make preparations for me. All right? We're going to go into that village. We're going, to, we're going to bless that village. So go in there. Make preparations for me. But in 53 it says, but the people did not receive him because his face was set before toward Jerusalem. Did you see that? The people rejected him. The people rejected Jesus because he was steadfast in his mission. His mission was to go to Jerusalem. And nothing was going to distract him from that. And if the people didn't care, fine. But look at what the disciples did. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, watch their hearts, in 54, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> they had spent three years with Jesus, and they still didn't understand Jesus' heart. The Pharisees didn't get it. Their hearts aren't in the right place. Even the disciples didn't get it. Can you imagine? Three years of teaching, of following Jesus, and they're still behaving like that. Psalm 78, 11 says, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. And in 55, Jesus goes that he rebuked them 
And a few months later, there's Peter cutting off someone's ear. Right? They still didn't get it. So what did Jesus do? He just goes, I'll just go to another village. They didn't get it. The hearts weren't in the right place. The leaders' hearts weren't in the right place. The disciples' hearts weren't in the right place. But what about the people? Were the people's hearts in the right place? There's one other story that we put as an encounter with Jesus. You can find it actually in Matthew and Mark, a very short version in Luke. But I'm going to read the Mark version. starts at verse 17. And he was setting on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know your commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him loved him and said to him. Do you see that? He looked at him. He loved him. He loved him. You see, it's interesting when the Bible says too much is given, much is required. Jesus knows that this is a person amongst the people who may have not been following him, may not be Pharisees. He loved them. But he didn't stop him from wanting to correct him. But he corrected him in love. He corrected him in love. And this is what Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Again, another story, another example. Three years of hearing his teachings, of being with him, and still they did not understand. But he was not deterred. Jesus was not deterred. He kept going. He kept going. You see... One of the things that we learn so very, very much in, in its basic form is that it takes the Spirit of God to really solidify what the Word means. Do you understand that? Without the Spirit of God, there is no understanding of the Word. So before we start to criticize, I can be, I am the first to confess based on how I came to the Lord, that if it wasn't for the Spirit working in my life and working my heart, I would not understand. I wouldn't. You can give me all the teachings. You can give me all the wisdom. You can give me all the sayings. But if it isn't for the Spirit of God that is convicting you and is telling your heart that something is true and important here, you won't understand it. Because all it is is mere words. Mere words. But there are times that the Spirit touches you and like lightning, something sticks. Something sticks. Moody. You've heard me talk a lot about Moody, but there's, there's an interesting story about Moody and he goes overseas. This is later on when he's, you know, this is later in his, in his pastoral career. You know, after God had shrunk his church and then expanded it again and he had all these great things happening, all these wonderful programs, successful pastor, successful church. And he went to see a British evangelist named Henry Varley. And Henry Varley said these words, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. <laughs> this is what it says. It was after, and this is what Harley had said, it was after an all-night prayer meeting in Dublin. 
How many of you want to sign up for an all-night prayer meeting here at Logos? All night. Stay up. He stayed up all night. I don't even know if I could do that. But that's pretty impressive. So there they are. They're staying up all night, an all-night prayer meeting in Dublin at the home of Henry Bewley Varley. And this is what, this is what Moody says. As I crossed the wide Atlantic, now remember, there's no planes, right? This is by boat. So this is a long voyage of weeks, right? Moody said, the boards of the deck were engraved with them, engraved with what? The words that he had heard. And when I reached Chicago, every paving stone seemed to mark them, the words that he had heard. The result, Moody decided that he was involved in too many things and had too many distractions in his life. And when he spoke to Harley afterwards, Varley, I should say, he said, did you remember those words? Because I have no recollection of those words. None whatsoever. But you said those words during the prayer meeting. He goes, I don't remember saying those words at all. You see, it was the Spirit of God speaking to Moody and saying, your heart needs to be more concentrated to me than it is right now. And so on this final journey that Jesus is taking, his disciples, we are learning something about ourselves. We are learning something about what it is to be a Christian. And the first thing we're learning, it's not about head knowledge. You can memorize the entire Bible. You can be the best, you know, apologetics person who argues the greatest, you know, arguments to win over arguments. But that's not going to save people. That's not going to convert people to knowing the truth. None of it is. Just like with Moody, it is the spirit in mystery that does great things. And when Jesus, going back to, to what Jesus had done, and when Jesus had finished speaking to the, to the rich man, and the rich man had gone off, you know, Jesus talks about how difficult it is for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. It is very hard for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're so self-sufficient. It's true. But we've got to realize one thing. Compared to the world... We are wealthy. And how hard it would be here in First Nations like Canada, U.S., Britain, where you have everything, all the distractions. We're becoming like goldfish. There's so much. There's Netflix, Prime Video, Disney. Um, I don't know. There's so many others out there. You know, I used to think I had a lot of channels when I had cable. I still remember the days where the TV was black and white and I had to walk up to the TV and get off the stove and get some exercise and go click, 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 click. And then I was really surprised, oh, when they brought out the converter with a wire that went from the, to the TV and you had this long wire going across the floor and you could sit on the sofa, you didn't have to get up anywhere, you could press the button and it would switch the TV channel. That was great. Now, oh my goodness, there's hundreds of channels you can choose from. And that's just cable. And then you can get a package. And then you can get an add-on. Netflix and uh, Prime and Disney. And then you got YouTube. We are rich. You know how you know you're rich? When there's so many choices for you to do something that you don't know what to choose. I remember um, I did some work in Brazil, uh, very brief work with some Brazilians, and, and this Brazilian uh, woman came up to Canada, and the first thing that she did when she went into a grocery store is she started to cry. She started to cry. And then she went to another grocery store, and the same thing, and another one, and another one, and another one. You see, we lead privileged lives. We do. 
And so, don't think that we're not like the rich ruler here. We are very much the same. And look what they said. Jesus says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And everybody's going, it must be impossible, Lord, right? That's how the disciples responded. And this is how Jesus responds. He goes like this. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Amen? Amen. You see, we can't do it on our own. We can't. It is impossible. But we need to change our perspective. We need to change our hearts. Not just for the very fact that we, in how we actually accept Jesus Christ, but also in how we walk in our journey serving him. Do you want to be disciples that every time something happens, you get it wrong? Fire and brimstone just because someone doesn't listen to you? Lord, my neighbor, I've tried a hundred times and he doesn't listen. Oh, just get rid of him and give me a new one so I can start again. You know? Sometimes we might feel like that. That's not the heart of God. It isn't. Okay, I felt like that sometimes. You know, it can be hard. But here it is. I want to show you something. I want to show you something very interesting. Ephesians 2.12. 2.12 and 13. It says this, Remember... Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ. Remember, there was a time you didn't know Jesus. You were alienated. You were strangers to the covenant of the promise. Remember, you had no hope. No hope whatsoever. whatsoever. But then in verse 13 it says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off. Do you see that? You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near. You have been bought with a price that that not just brought salvation, but brought you near. And there's one interesting that's happening. And I started with this verse, but let's go back to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us. You see, it was love that drove this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. What does it say? Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay? Before knowing God. Made us alive together with Christ. How can that happen? Even before? What this is saying that even before you knew who Christ was, He had already made you alive with Christ. Can you comprehend this? Before you even knew that you were going to be a Christian, He had already made you alive with Christ. Before you even knew that you had to get out of that mud, he had made you alive with Christ. You didn't see it, but he saw it. He saw it coming. He saw it coming. Listen to this, it goes even further. Made you alive with Christ by grace through through by grace you have been saved. And listen to this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He not only saved you, but he saw you in the heavenly places. Can you, I mean, that just blows my mind. That the people in your life who don't know Jesus, God already sees them in heaven the way they were and are going to be. That is an all-powerful God. An all-powerful God. And it's only by the blood of Jesus. Only by the blood of Jesus. Only by the Spirit of God and no other way. 
when I read this, I'd never read it like this before. That me, when I was a sinner, he saw me as I would be in the heavenly places. He didn't see me over there. He saw me the way I would be over there. I have a story here of a man who had every reason to reject God and reject his situation. His name is Tyrone. This is the story of Tyrone. This is what he says. I was told I would never amount to anything. You see, his father was murdered when he was 10. This is what he says. People would always tell me, you're going to be just like your father. Either dead or in jail. That's what he was told. No mother bounced around, sometimes living with his grandmother. But finally, Tyrone was actually starting to get things together. It says here that his life was starting to get together. And he was a senior in high school. And then one day, out of an argument, playing basketball, things escalated into a fist fight. And then all of a sudden, the person that he was fighting with reached into a bag, pulled out a magnum, and shot three times towards him. He survived, but one of the bullets severed his spine, and he became paralyzed permanently. It says here that the desire for vengeance burned within him for two years. He was angry. He was upset. How could God do this to him? If anything, he had lived a life full of misery and suffering. No mother, father died. Finally, there was some hope, and all of a sudden, he's made a cripple. But this is what started to happen. Even though he was angry, he at least started talking to God. And in his conversations with God, to try and understand why something wonderful happened, see, God started turning him around and changing him. And it says here that after a while, God helped him move past his self-pity, his anger, and his unforgiveness and transformed him. He goes like this, Now what was really burning in my heart was why did God save me? See that? See the change? Complete change. Asking why did God save me? Why did I go through the things I went through? What is my purpose? Years later, this is what happens. Tyrone attended the University of Missouri, Columbia on a scholarship. Not only graduating with honors, but going on to earn a law degree in 1998. While in school, working on a paper about the juvenile justice system, he visited some of the centers where he'd stayed as a child. Remember, he's in a wheelchair permanently while he's doing this. He found that he had a connection with the kids. God had turned something terrible into something beautiful in Tyrone's life. They were going through something that I'd already experienced. Parents are incarcerated or dead, grew up in poverty, trouble in school, he says. But I knew God had equipped me uniquely to work with high-risk urban youth. Today, Tyrone leads a program called Higher Impact, a ministry to rescue and mentor at-risk youth in Kansas City. He says this, I realize that if you're operating in God's perfect will you're not disabled you're not disabled do you see what he said if you operate in God's perfect will you're not disabled there is nothing physically that can hamper you no goldfish moments no bullet severing your spine nothing 
nothing if we focus on God's perfect will. We seek Him. And you see, Jesus is here starting His journey to Jerusalem. And He's asking His disciples and He's asking us as children of God. You see, God knew we would be here this day listening to this message way back then. In the same way that He knows where you'll be in heaven and how you'll be in heaven. It's just something we can't comprehend. But here's Jesus. And he's asking us, remember the quote I said, we see things as we are, but Jesus wants to transform us so that we see things as he sees them, not as we see them. And you see, when he was looking out and his face was set to Jerusalem, he wasn't seeing all the issues that we're going to come up, that we're going to learn about as we go through this series. Those were important lessons in life that we have to go through, that they had to go through. And as we go through life, we need to have our eyes set on Jerusalem. And you see, it doesn't say when Jesus had his eyes set on the cross he turned to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that when Jesus had his eyes set on the Last Supper that he turned to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that when Jesus turned to Jerusalem, he was thinking about the beating he was going to take, the suffering he was going to have. What does the Bible say that he was thinking of? When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he was looking beyond the cross. Do you see that? Jesus wasn't looking towards Jerusalem because of what's in the cross. Yes, he knew the cross was pivotal, and that's what made us be forgiven. He died for our sins, but he looked beyond it because you know what was beyond it? Pharisees who had come to light and see him as who he was. The rich ruler who might actually be able to be saved because of what happens after the cross. The disciples who will finally get to understand what happens after the cross. Yes, it started with the cross, but the cross was just the first step. The second step was to defeat Satan, take the keys of hell from Satan so that he now is in control of your lives and that he can bring the Spirit into your life so that you can live a life of victory, so that you can set yourself and your face on Jerusalem. So that when you look to Jerusalem, you don't look at what's happening in the Middle East right now. What do you see? Do you see the new Jerusalem coming down? Is that your vision? You see, Jesus is calling us to have his vision in our lives. Not to see with our eyes, but to see with his. When he set his face on that journey, he was seeing beyond what was going on. He was seeing himself seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for all of us. And he's asking us to join in that journey, in the same determination, with the same vision as he had. <laughs> Last week, you know, I was going downtown, and a little embarrassing moment happened to me. And I decided to take some of the uh, young people downtown with us to, to go have a, a lunch, the interns and a couple of young people who stayed behind and volunteer. And so we, 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 we drove downtown. And I warned them, hey, we're going downtown, so it might take a while to get downtown, but I want to take you to this great place that I know. This great place that I know. You'll love the food. I used to go there when I used to go to Ryerson. And so I said, come with me. Yeah, you're going to love it, right? What I didn't know, what I didn't know, was that the Santa Claus parade was going on. <laughs> I had no idea. So I started driving down there, and it's like, it's crazy. Everything is slow. 
It should only take me 30 minutes. An hour in and I'm going, how am I going to get around this? All the roads are blocked. And so I'm determined. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go. And there's another, another car following us. And we're in contact and we said, look, this is what we're going to do. I don't care about the Santa Claus parade. Even if they're marching, we're going to go through it because the restaurant that we wanted to go was on the other side of the Santa Claus parade, but it went all the way up Young Street, all the way up to Bloor. And so I said, okay, we're going to park the car, so park wherever you are, and we're going to walk. That's what we did. We parked, and we walked. We were determined. We got to Young Street, and the barricades are still up, but we walked through the barricades to the other side. We went to that restaurant. The other group that was in the car, they parked wherever they were. And they ran to get to the restaurant because it's food and fellowship. You see, they weren't looking at the Santa Claus parade. They weren't looking at the fact that it was raining a bit. They wanted the food. And then they forgot where they parked, but that's another story. You see, we had a purpose, and we didn't let anything take us away from that purpose. And Jesus has a purpose for you and for me. And he doesn't want you to be distracted. He wants you to set your face on that purpose and to see not the problems and the obstacles that you're going to face, but beyond them. What's beyond those obstacles? What's beyond those barriers? What is going to happen? You see, he has a vision. You know, we all, all talk about, you know, in churches, vision, mission, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, I say this. That's nice. But really, it's God's vision, isn't it? It's his vision that I want in my life. God, give me your vision of what you want in me. My prayer is that God would give you his vision of your life to each and every single one of you so that when you set on that vision and on that mission that he's going to give you, that you will see beyond the trials, beyond the obstacles, and see the victory that he's going to bring. You might not be able to articulate it, but you can feel it in your heart because it's the spirit guiding you. I have a quote here. We are given both identity and purpose when we accept Jesus. We are both saved and called according to his purpose and mission. A mission which needs to be outworked, not just in church, but in our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our schools, our parks, our streets, our grocery stores, our phone calls, our bus rides, everywhere. If you have ever questioned what your purpose is, look to Jesus. He has already shown us we are to join God in his great mission, restoring humanity to him. The question is, are we being effective in our mission? This was the end of his work on earth, and he had set his face to Jerusalem, to when he would be taken up. Yes, there's all these things that you have to go through, but where's your vision? Is your vision on the end that he is trying to accomplish in your lives, in the life of this church, in the life of your family, your neighbors, everywhere? See, God has a purpose and vision as to what's going to be ahead. And he sees who you are all the way, instantaneously sees you here as you are, but he also sees you how you will be while you're in heaven with Christ. I can't even fathom that with my peeny brain. He sees me where I am and where I will be. And that's wonderful. And while I'm here on this earth, my prayer is for each and every one of you to please, please, Seek his vision for your life. Seek his mission for your life. 
Seek his purpose for your life and live in his perfect will regardless of whatever comes your way because you will be able to see beyond what comes at you and live in victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. Amen? Amen. Now, I am standing between you and some wonderful, beautiful, loving fellowship time. But we're going to pray first. We're going to pray first. Let's all stand. As you go and, and share in some koinonia time, share your hearts. I encourage you, share your hearts with one another. Don't just ask, oh, how was your day? That's good. Ask, how was your day? But why don't you let people know what God has put on your heart? What your desire to do is, you know, what is it that is your desire of your heart that God has put on your heart? The other day, one of the sisters came to me and says, Julia, I have a desire to go and reach this neighborhood here, this community. Then I had another group of people who said, Julio, I have a desire, we have a desire to open up a food bank in this church and reach out to people. What do you need to set your face on? Jesus is calling you to join in his journey. Don't look down. Look forward to where he wants to take you. Amen? Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for your victory. I thank you for being in heaven. I thank you for sending the spirit. I thank you for this church.